I'd like to invite you to please turn with me to Genesis 46 as we continue in our series, uh, The Gospel According to Joseph. And what we saw two weeks ago in, in chapter 45 was in some ways the emotional climax of the story of Joseph. That's where Joseph reunites with his brothers who had so greatly mistreated him so many years before. He reveals his identity. He, he forgives them as they wept and as they embraced. But the story is not over. The famine that covered the land continues. And so in chapter 45, Joseph told his brothers to bring their father and come to Egypt. In fact, there's a verse uh, that I absolutely love that I want to make sure we don't miss, even though we're jumping in on chapter 46. Chapter 45, verse 24 says that as his brothers left, Joseph told them, do not quarrel on the way as they're traveling. I'm, I think there's no better verse to put in the family minivan than Genesis 45, 24. Do not quarrel on the way. It's like Joseph knows his brothers a little bit too well. And he knows on their way back to Egypt, they're going to be like, man, you were the one who threw him in the pit. Well, you were the one who said we should sell him into slavery. I tried to tell dad the truth, but you guys were like, no, we can't. Joseph says, do not quarrel on the way. I was tempted to do an entire sermon on that verse, an urgent appeal for siblings to not argue while traveling together. But, um, but we move on to chapter 46 and, and chapters 47 as well. We'll look at both of these chapters today as we consider the journey of Joseph's family back to Egypt. These chapters describe what is now the third trip uh, that Joseph's brothers have taken, but this trip will be a permanent one, and this one will involve Jacob and all that he has. It's really this astonishing uh, great migration that involves leaving home and settling as sojourners in a distant land, in the land of Egypt. And Jacob does, he takes everything. Um, he takes Children and grandchildren, flocks, and all his possessions. And so that's what we'll see in this text that we read. It may be, as we read this initially, that it appears that this story, this text, this account seems to have little to do with our lives. But this passage, in fact, contains a powerful theological point that fundamentally changes the way we view our lives in this world. And the point is this, that just as Jacob and his family would be sojourners and strangers in the land of Egypt, so we too, as the people of God today, live as sojourners and strangers in a world that is not our home, as we await the promise of a better country. This story is our story. Let's begin in Genesis 46, verse 1. This is God's holy and authoritative word. So Israel, that is Jacob, so Israel took his journey with all that he had and came to Beersheba, and offered sacrifices to the God of his father, Isaac. 
And God spoke to Israel in visions of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob. And he said, here I am. Then he said, I am God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for there I will make you into a great nation. I myself will go down with you to Egypt, and I will also bring you up again, and Joseph's hand shall close your eyes. Then Jacob set out from Beersheba. The sons of Israel carried Jacob, their father, their little ones, and their wives in the wagons that Pharaoh had sent to them, had sent to carry them. So they took their livestock and their goods, which they had gained in the land of Canaan, and came into Egypt, Jacob and all his offspring with him, his sons and his sons' sons with him, his daughters and his sons' daughters, all his offspring he brought with him to Egypt. And then the following paragraphs list the names of many of the descendants and people who traveled. Let's resume in verse 26. All the persons belonging to Jacob who came into Egypt, who were his own descendants, not including Jacob's son's wives, were 66 persons in all. And the sons of Joseph who were born to him in Egypt were two. All the persons of the house of Jacob who came into Egypt were 70. He had sent Judah ahead of him to Joseph to show the way before him in Goshen. And they came into the land of Goshen. Then Joseph prepared his chariot and went up to meet Israel, his father, in Goshen. He presented himself to him and fell on his neck and wept on his neck a good while. Israel said to Joseph, now let me die since I have seen your face and know that you are still alive. Joseph said to his brothers and to his father's household, I will go up and tell Pharaoh and will say to him, my brothers and my father's household who were in the land of Canaan have come to me and the men are shepherds for they have been keepers of livestock and they have brought their flocks and their herds and all that they have. When Pharaoh calls you and says, what is your occupation? You shall say, your servants have been keepers of livestock from our youth, even until now, both we and our fathers in order that you may dwell in the land of Goshen, for every shepherd is an abomination to the Egyptians. And continuing in 47 verse 1, So Joseph went in and told Pharaoh, My father and my brothers with their flocks and herds and all that they possess have come from the land of Canaan. They are now in the land of Goshen. And from among his brothers he took five men and presented them to Pharaoh. Pharaoh said to his brothers, What is your occupation? And they said to Pharaoh, Your servants are shepherds as our fathers were. They said to Pharaoh, we have come to sojourn in the land for there is no pasture for your servants' flocks for the famine is severe in the land of Canaan. And now please let your servants dwell in the land of Goshen. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, your father and your brothers have come to you. The land of Egypt is before you. Settle your father and your brothers in the best of the land. Let them settle in the land of Goshen And if you know any able men among them, put them in charge of my livestock. Then Joseph brought in Jacob, his father, and stood him before Pharaoh. And Jacob blessed Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Jacob, how many are the days of the years of your life? And Jacob said to Pharaoh, 
The days of the years of my sojourning are 130 years. Few and evil have been the days of the years of my life, and they have not attained to the days of the years of the life of my fathers in the days of their sojourning. And Jacob blessed Pharaoh and went out from the presence of Pharaoh. Then Joseph settled his father and his brothers and gave them a possession in the land of Egypt, in the best of the land, in the land of Ramesses, as Pharaoh had commanded. And Joseph provided his father, his brothers, and all his father's household with food according to the number of their dependents. May God bless the preaching of his word. It's quite difficult for us to imagine what it would have meant for Jacob to pack up and to leave Canaan, to leave the land of promise and to relocate to the land of Egypt. Here's a man, 130 years old, we are told, leaving his home and his country, heading out on a long and dangerous journey. It would be several hundred miles through, mostly through desert, and he would take everything he has. It it truly is a great thing to see Someone still trusting and obeying God in their later years. 130 years old. He, he needs to be carried. And yet still he goes. And part of what this means is that we never outgrow the need to trust God and to follow where he leads. As long as we have breath, we will live for his glory. And I thank God for the example that is being set by the older generation of saints in our own church family. Jacob knows that he will die in Egypt. The Israelites would remain in Egypt as immigrants and sojourners for 400 years. That is in fact where they would become a great nation. But their time in Egypt would only be temporary because God had promised that he would lead them out and would ultimately have a home for them that would be in the promised land. In chapter 47, verse 7, Jacob is standing before mighty Pharaoh. It's this incredible scene. He stands before the king of Egypt, and instead of asking Pharaoh for anything, as his sons did, Jacob will do Pharaoh a favor by blessing him. It's this incredible scene. You look at it and you think, wait, who is blessing who? It's as if this poor old shepherd thinks He belongs to a nation more important than Egypt. Well, he does belong to a greater kingdom, and he knows it. And Pharaoh asks Jacob how long he has lived, and Jacob says, the days of the years of my sojourning are 130 years. Notice, what does he consider the time of his sojourning? Not just his time in Egypt, not just the time he spent on that particular trip into Egypt. He regards all the years of his life as being the years of his sojourning. Now, this is exactly what Hebrews 11 refers to when it speaks to the saints of old acknowledging they were strangers on earth. Speaking about Jacob and Joseph and many others, it says in Hebrews eleven thirteen, these all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar. Here it is, 
and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. And it says in that same chapter that they were seeking a homeland and a better country. That is, they were seeking a heavenly home. Ian Duguid says, Jacob knew that his time here on earth was not his life. It was merely a sojourn, a temporary stay somewhere, not a permanent residence. And here is the great lesson from this passage for us. Like Jacob, your time here is a sojourn and a temporary stay. How do you think about the days, the years of your life, however many decades you have lived, however short or however long, the Christian is one who sees all of life as a journey to another place. And when you see your life that way, it fundamentally and radically alters your perspective and your priorities. In the great classic John Bunyan's book, Pilgrim's Progress, the whole of the Christian life is viewed as a dangerous journey. A journey from the city of destruction representing this sinful world through many trials and to the celestial city of heaven. We do not settle down in that place called Vanity Fair with all of its fame and pleasure and power and riches because we are sojourners in this world and citizens of heaven. Jacob also says in verse 9 of chapter, 30, of chapter 47, he says, few and evil have been the days of the years of my life. 130 years. And Jacob says, few and evil. Life is not long, but it's hard. Few and evil have been the days of the years of my life. That statement is not the full summary of his life. God had been good and faithful to him in many ways. And yet what he says here is true. Uh, his life had been full of sorrows and he had suffered greatly. Jacob had known family troubles, conflict, an unhappy marriage, loss, sorrow, and much more. And perhaps some of you have known some of those same troubles and life has been hard. And you would look at your own life and say today, few and evil have been my days. God wants you to know, he wants us to know that there is hope for us today. There is hope that comes through remembering our identity as pilgrims and sojourners in this world. If this life is all that there is, Jacob is to be pitied and all who live for Christ are to be pitied. If this world is our home, then the goal is to have our best life now. If this world is our home, then the goal is 
to settle down and to store up treasures here. All that matters is the quality of our lives in this world. But if this world is not our home, we live for something more. And God is reminding us today that we are sojourners in this world and that this changes everything in how you think about your life today, in how you think about your future. Because this world is not my home, these evil days do not devastate me. Because this world is not my home, I am not attached to the things of earth. I am not controlled by the things that I want but do not have. Because this world is not my home, I have hope in the midst of every hardship and sorrow. My mind is set on the things that are above and the future Christ has won for me. Christian, this is how we view life in this world. You died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. We boast in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Heaven is your home. Heaven is your hope. And here's the thing. Could there be a more timely word for us at this moment in our culture and in our nation and in our lives? 2020... 2020 has been so full of reminders that this world is not our home. And I don't have a doubt that part of what God is doing is revealing that this world and its priorities are too much with us. If this year is robbing you of peace and joy, if this year has not been deepening your longing for heaven, then you're doing 2020 wrong. And there's an adjustment to be made in the realm of heavenly mindedness. This world, this nation, is not the place we are at home. We as the people of Christ are just passing through. And so Octavius Winslow, in a sermon on Jacob's immigration to Egypt, he says, we are passing through this world to glory. And the command of our Lord, and this is a command that comes to each one of us today, the command of our Lord is that we be constantly forgetting the things that are seen and temporal, nor regard the world, its possessions and attractions, in anticipation of the world of glory that is before us. He says the follower of Christ is to consider earth's wealth and glory, this world's pleasure and politics as nothing to him and constantly detaching himself from the things that are earthly and temporal. He is to be pressing forward to things heavenly and eternal. Brothers and sisters, we live for the world of glory that is to come. We long for that world. And that is why there is nothing more important today than making sure that you are among those who will be in that world of glory. Christ came into the world to save sinners by dying in our place and 
rising that we might live with him forever. We were made for another world. Did you know that? You can't make sense of life in this world unless you realize, and if you're honest with yourself, you know it, that you were made for another world. C.S. Lewis says something profound in his book, Mere Christianity. He says, most people, if they had really learned to look into their own hearts, would know that they do want and want acutely something that cannot be had in this world. This is explaining so much of the dissatisfaction that you have in this life, however much you attain, however much you acquire. Why does it leave you empty? There are all sorts of things in this world, Lewis says, that offer to give it to you, that satisfaction, but they never quite keep their promise. And then he says this, if I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. Life in this world is not a settling. It is a sojourning. We were made for another world. The Christian journey is difficult, and yet we are not miserable travelers. Uh, at the beginning of chapter 46, God visited Jacob, and at the outset of that journey, when he was in Beersheba, a place of great significance to his grandfather Abraham and his father Isaac, God appeared to him. And Jacob said, here I am. The same words Abraham had spoken to God in Genesis 22, communicating his availability for the Lord's purposes and his eagerness to obey. And then in that moment, early in Chapter 46, God speaks words of assurance and grace. What's he doing? He is equipping Jacob with confidence for the journey. Equipping him with confidence for the journey. Because Jacob might have wondered if leaving the promised land for Egypt really was God's plan. And because the journey would indeed be difficult and wearying. Left to ourselves, we will lose heart along the way. Left to ourselves, we may not set out on the journey at all. And so, look at what God does. First, 46 verse 2, he calls Jacob by name. Jacob, Jacob, just as he calls each of us whom he has made by name. And then he speaks to our fears saying, do not be afraid. Do not let fear stand in your way. Let fear be driven out of your heart today. And God says then, the reason you should not fear is because my promises can always be trusted. He says to Jacob, I promised to your fathers and to you to make you into a great nation and my promise will be fulfilled. And verse 4, I myself will go down with you to Egypt and I myself will bring you up again. I will deliver you in a great exodus, bringing you out of Egypt into the promised land. And Jacob, who likely fears that in his fragile state and old age he will die along the way, 
God beautifully reassures him at the end of verse 4. Joseph's hand shall close your eyes. He's saying, your, your son, whom you have not seen in decades, you will see again, and he will be by your side, and you will peacefully pass into the glory I have prepared for you. Those verses at the beginning of chapter 46 are such an encouragement to us when it comes to the Christian journey. Because just as God drew near and spoke assurances to Jacob, so he has spoken to us in his word and says the same to us today. Our hearing from the Lord is no less personal. He comes to us and he says, My child, called by name, loved with a personal, intimate love, do not be afraid, for I, the Lord your God, am faithful. And Christ speaks to us today and reminds us of the promises he has made. Jesus says to us today, my promises can be trusted. I will be with you. I am your savior. And the future that I have for you is better than you can imagine. And so if you are a Christian, if you are in a dry and weary place, or if you are facing difficult days in the journey ahead, I have prayed that God would give you your own Beersheba-type experience of his nearness and his presence. That you would encounter God's presence through his word, even in this moment, in such a way that gives you tremendous faith for what God has called you to, for the path that is set before you. It may be that you are currently experiencing the most difficult days you have ever known in this Christian journey. Listen, God is faithful. Even when you don't perceive it, God is faithful and God is with you and your future in Christ is glorious beyond compare. The sojourn is not the end. The sojourn is temporary, but the ultimate destination is eternal and that ultimate destination is secure. And you have it on the authority of God's word that he will bring us safely home. We will leave this weary road and join the saints who dwell on high and have found their home with God. We will close these eyes long dimmed by tears and we will on that day wake in joy before the throne of God and we will be delivered from all of our fears. This is the Christian hope. And I keep coming back to this idea, and I've been reflecting on it all week long. I think we could all use a little more heavenly-mindedness during these days of difficulty. The saints of old died in faith, having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on earth and seeking a heavenly country. We are not those whose minds are set on earthly things. Our citizenship is in heaven. And from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We are those who are living for the world to come. 
Let me close with, with this. The Puritan Jonathan Edwards once preached a sermon called The Christian Pilgrim or The True Christian's Life, A Journey. I first read this sermon. I pulled it off my shelf this week in his two-volume works that I first read in college. And that sermon has shaped my view of life to this day. The Christian Pilgrim. The true Christian's life, a journey. The main point of the sermon is that every Christian is a sojourner in a world that is not our home. And Edward says that if we spend our lives seeking happiness here and now, then death will bring an end to our joy. Everyone needs to think about what are you living for? What is the center of your life? Are you living for this world or are you living for the world to come? And Edwards talks about heaven in that sermon. And he says this, writing several hundred years ago, the language is a bit archaic, but it's glorious. He says, heaven is that place alone where our highest end and highest good is to be obtained. God has made us for himself. God is the highest good of the reasonable creature and the enjoyment of him is the only happiness with which our souls can be satisfied. To go to heaven fully to enjoy God is infinitely better than the most pleasant accommodations here. Fathers and mothers, husbands, wives or children or the company of earthly friends are but shadows, but the enjoyment of God is the substance. These, he says, are but scattered beams, but God is the sun. These are but streams, but God is the fountain. These are but drops, but God is the ocean. Friends, no one else and nothing else will satisfy. Christ alone is the substance. Christ alone is the sun of all blessing, the fountain of joy, the ocean of life. Look to the celestial city this day. Look to the promised land and long for that day. Remember the future that you have in Christ. Here's the reality. <laughs> Few and evil are our days. Life in this world is so imperfect in this world, our fellowship with God is imperfect. Our conformity to Christ is imperfect. Our days are few and evil, and we are so often wearied by the journey. But it will not always be this way. It will not always be as it is now. For in the world to come, we will enjoy perfect fellowship with God. And we will have no remaining sin in our lives or in our hearts. And we will see God as he is. Friends, let faith rise in your heart for the journey now. Do not fear. The Lord is with you. He will sustain you. He will bless you. And he will keep you till that day. Take heart. Be of good cheer. Be strong in the Lord, knowing that he is with you every step of this Christian journey. Amen.